This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays exploring the big money issues in the world of sports, talking to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we're speaking with a guy who is at the nexus of all of it. If you have to think about the business of sports, he's it. Bill Mulvihill, he's the managing director and head of sports and entertainment group at U.S. Bank. He joins us from Cincinnati. Bill, how are you? This is kind of a crazy time in your business. Yeah, Jason. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm doing well. It has certainly been an interesting few months. It's something that none of us in this business have ever experienced, and uh, it's been a fascinating time and and, uh, certainly a lot going on. So we want to talk about a number of the transactions and sort of the transaction vibe, as it were, that's going on in the world of sports right now. You guys are top of the league tables in sports-related deal volume in terms of financing new stadiums, in terms of uh, teams getting bought and sold. Let me start on the news. I know it's a deal that you weren't involved in, but everybody's talking about the Mets. What does it mean for the broader market with Stevie Cohen coming in, $2.42 billion. Wow. I think I think that's exactly right. Wow. And uh, I, I would say it's a great sign for the industry. It was a lot of talk about, obviously, a lot of chatter that the Mets were for sale and, and what they were actually going to sell for in these times. And you, you heard numbers all over the place, and you heard that there could be some kind of pandemic-related discount. And, and the price tag, I think, is uh, is very strong and robust and just suggest to me that even though we are in a time of obviously disruption and where for baseball they're able to play games but with no or limited fans, uh, but but despite that, that the, the long-term value of these franchises is holding up, and I, I just think it's a very encouraging sign for the industry that even during these times, a price tag like that uh, can be can be had for, for one of the premier teams in Major League Baseball. Bill, I want to ask you about in these times, private financing versus public financing. Is, is public financing a thing of the past right now in this, this current world we're living in? You know, I think it's, uh, it, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a thing of the past, but it's certainly more challenging than ever. And even before the, the coronavirus, uh, it, it was difficult, and especially on the coast, uh, the New York and the East Coast area, and then and certainly California. Just the politics behind securing public dollars was very challenging. Uh, a lot of the budgets in, in those places and really all over the country are tight, and, and I think the pandemic obviously even makes the, the budgets of those municipalities even tougher. So I would say it's not over, but I think it's, it, it'll certainly be challenging in the near term, given that all, the, all these uh, states and cities 
uh, the, the, what they're facing from a cost uh, perspective, cost point of view, dealing with the coronavirus, to then go out and, and uh, approve new dollars for a sports stadium or arena, I think will be hard. But uh, nonetheless, I think in the right case where where it makes sense and it's and leads to some economic development, I certainly will. I, I can see that happening. But but in the short term, certainly it's going to be challenging. Well, when we think about superlatives, uh, Bill, we have to think about how. Our mouths were all agape, I think, when we saw the opening game out in Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium. I think I, like a lot of people, you know, flying in and out of L.A. over the past few years, you know, you sort of saw it, given its proximity to the airport, uh, especially saw the bones of it and it saw it all come together. Tell us about what that means. You know, we talked about the Mets for baseball, but this stadium, it's a deal that you guys worked on, I believe, like, what does it mean in the broader picture in terms of what a stadium can be and sort of how the whole deal gets put together? Yeah, I, I like you, I, same thing. I flew out there so many times, and you, when you were flying into LAX, you'd, you'd look over and you could see it being built. And uh, It's certainly a fascinating project, and, and, and we did have the chance to uh, to work on that. In my mind, it's it's sort of what happened with Cowboy Stadium, uh, that the, the Cowboy Stadium sort of changed uh, what we thought a football stadium could be, and it sort of became the new generation. And you had others uh, like U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota and others uh, uh, follow that and become this sort of new gym of the NFL. And I think SoFi is really going to take it to the next level. Uh, just the the way they're inter- integrating the surrounding area, the entertainment district, but just the stadium in itself, it's really sort of a next-gen and so I think, uh, I think like Cowboy Stadium did for the NFL, SoFi will do where it will take these stadiums even to the next level. And it's, it's a really exciting time. And, again, as we talked about, the pandemic has kind of put a pause on many things, and it's, it's somewhat sad to have to see stadiums empty like that. But, but nonetheless, long term, I think this is really going to be a milestone for the NFL and really for sports stadiums and arenas in general. You know, along that same line, the World Series is going to be uh, held at another one of your projects at Texas Rangers' new stadium. So this is going to be quite a coming-out fall for you. <laughs> yeah, in normal times, I would have enjoyed going to all these stadiums and, uh, <laughs> and seeing the games. And uh, I, when I hear when I hear that they're going to be playing the World Series in, in Texas, uh, at one hand, I'm super excited for them, and uh, it's just really neat. But then at the same time, it's it, again, it's kind of weird and, and somewhat sad that uh, I won't be able to attend, not to make it about me, but that others, uh, you know, they probably won't be able to have a full stadium. And, and just, uh, it's just such a unique time in sports to see these things. But yeah, that, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a great way to at least showcase what they, what they were able to do down there in Arlington. So sort of at this nexus, I guess, a different sort of nexus of ownership and, and stadium construction and municipalities, which Lynchy was uh, asking about a little bit earlier in the conversation. I mean, I do wonder about this kind of new generation of owners that we're seeing, it feels like at least, and certainly the NBA feels like we've seen a lot of that, whether we're thinking about the Sixers, whether we're thinking about the Bucks, and many others, as you look across that league, it's even starting to happen maybe a little bit in the NFL, although the NFL tends to be lagging in that regard. But does the change in ownership and the style of ownership affect the way teams are bought and the way stadiums are put together? I mean, you're talking to all the stakeholders involved. I just wonder how we're evolving here. 
Yeah, yeah, great question, and, and absolutely, we see that that this evolution. I think when I first started in the business, I think back to it, and the business of sports was was somewhat easy or simple. Maybe not easy is the wrong word, but somewhat simple to understand. You you sold tickets, you you sold some food at a stadium, you sold some merchandise, and and you paid your players, and that's oversimplified, and obviously, but it was it was a pretty simple business to to understand. And that's really changed with new ownership. You mentioned that, but also the media aspect yeah. of the business, the technology aspect of the business. And so in some ways they become more of this, they feel like tech companies or media companies are the combination of, and the way they run their business now are just very sophisticated. And I think you've seen some people like you've talked about that and, and some, some, some individuals realize their op- the opportunities and you've seen a lot of new owners come in and, shake things up from a business perspective. I mean, if you sit down with a team and you hear how they think about selling tickets from how they market to people, how they price the ticket, how they how they know that you might want a ticket, and then we're also going to hit you up for a jersey as well. Just the way they, they use technology and data to drive revenue, it's just totally different business than 10 years ago. And I think that's going to continue to evolve. And, and even this the pandemic, I think, of one positive that will come out of it is I think teams are having to get even more creative and push boundaries even more about how they how they grow revenue. And so when we come out of this and things normalize, I think a lot of the the um, techniques they used and, and, and had to force themselves into will pay dividends in future years. Bill, going forward uh, uh, and, and future projects, i got to think that uh, you've got to take COVID-19 into consideration in terms of how do we set up concessions, how do we set up uh, access into the stadium, Texas uh, ticket entrances, social uh, distancing, and also, uh, more importantly, no one ever talks about exit strategy. You, know, you can space people out coming into a game, but when the game's over, you know, 80,000 people are leaving at the same time. Uh, are those things that discussions are going to come up in future plans? Definitely, definitely. You, you hit it, and we're we're already talking to our clients about how they can maybe retrofit their stadium to to be more to allow for social distancing, to allow for better entry into the stadium, exiting. But I would say one challenge for teams is there's just still not a right answer of what is the right way to keep both people social distance, and also we we obviously don't know how long is this going to last. So. I think teams are really debating among themselves about or, or discussing among themselves about uh, what do we do, how do we retrofit our stadium, how can we get people in. As you mentioned, the exiting strategy is a real challenge. Um, and Are you going to try to convince people to stay in their seats? All those types of things um, I, I think is an ongoing dialogue with the teams and the leagues of how to do it best. And I think it will be interesting just to see is this a temporary thing or permanently are they changing stadiums to sort of allow for these types of things because uh, even if the virus goes away, there's still a, people have a sort of permanent change in how close they want to be to other people. I, I guess it's still to be determined that the long-term implications of all of this. Bill, let's talk about some of the different sports, because, and we sort of alluded to this earlier with the the changes in ownerships and, and things like that, but also from a value perspective and from a platform perspective, maybe we start there. We're starting to see 
more and more people say, well, I've got a baseball team or I've got a football team and maybe I want a soccer team as well. We saw that in Atlanta with Arthur Blank. We've obviously seen the ownership group of the Sixers expand to the Devils and expand to Premiership. How do you see that evolving in terms of people building, I guess I'll just say it, sort of sports empires to to some extent, because that's not sort of what we've traditionally seen. Yeah, I think, yeah, you you nailed it. You know, historically it was sort of the model was maybe the some local businessmen would buy the team and and own it as sort of a um, an asset for the city and for his family. Uh, But as we were talking about before, it's become so much more sophisticated. And I think you're seeing some of these owners realize uh, and learn how to maximize the opportunity of owning a franchise. How to um, you, you, you mentioned some of the names, and the, you, you see them uh, drive revenue. I think the Fenway Sports Group is a great yeah. example of what they were able to do with the Red Sox, and then and then to purchase Liverpool uh, and run that in a in a sort of um, very sophisticated way, both on the field, how they how they uh, buy players and 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 put put talent on the field, but also from a business perspective, how they drive revenue. And so I think you're you're seeing some of these ownerships groups. Once they realize what they can do, go and say, where can we do this in another what, – what other teams, what other leagues can we do this? And I think you're going to see more and more of that. Um, I think a lot of growth has happened in the international soccer front. A lot of U.S. owners have, have looked to buy teams in, in Europe. Um, but I also think it's, it's going to continue to happen in North America. Uh, and I think as you see teams come up for sale, uh, you're going to see a lot of the current owners uh, take a look at those. You mentioned uh, the Fenway Sports Group. I'm a Boston guy. I'm up in Boston right now. And a lot of people, when the John Henry's group bought Fenway, they wanted them to raise it and build a brand-new Fenway Park. And they had a 10-year plan where they basically put some earrings on, some lipstick, and a tuxedo on it every year. And it, it's, <laughs> that's, quite, it's that's quite a mix of uh, things to yeah. put on every year. Well, I don't know what kind of parties you're going to, Lynchy, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know Wrigley did a little bit of that. Oakland sort of did some renovations. Uh, uh, renovations, things of the past. A new stadium is the way to go right now. Is there any way to increase value in the same parallel to a new stadium? Well, let me first say I had no idea you were from Boston with your accent. I, used, I, could, I, <laughs> what? I, I, I have to go pack my car as soon as I get out of here. There I you go. To, I'm, there I'm, you go. I'm going you've just yard. become my favorite guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, retrofitting, I, I, I think it works in places like Fenway and Wrigley where there is true – um, you know, history and, and just an iconic arena. I mean, sometimes I wonder if the Yankees think back and, and, and rethink. Maybe they should have tried something like that. I think it was a lot. It was. A, it was. A, it would have been a challenge. But nonetheless, I think in places where where there's an iconic stadium or arena, I think it makes sense. But without that, it, it, I really just think it's hard to if to keep the bones. And build something that's truly unique and, and special. And so, I, I don't really necessarily think that's going to be a trend. But the one thing that it, so maybe you would call this retrofitting, I do think you're going to see, is we, we were talking about technology and how these businesses have been. Um, there's been so much technology around them. I think you're going to see massive reinvestment in the stadiums and arenas to to change the feel and to increase the technology in the arena. Everything from, say, 
Um, Wi-Fi is sort of the simplest, but the, the, the sound system, and even to sort of newer things like virtual reality, augmented reality, I think the way if you're in a stadium or arena is going to feel totally different uh, two, three years from now than it does today. And there will be a lot of investment needed to make that happen. So I can see that. But as far as a team decides they need a totally different facility, I think you're largely going to see them building new. So, Bill, just going back for a minute to kind of the empire building and the different sports, I mean, where are the – where's the most growth, I guess, from a franchise value perspective? You know, we continue to see these records build and build, and, and I feel like specifically with – pro soccer in the United States, there was this sense of like, all right, there's a lot of growth there. But I've talked with a few owners who basically say, you know what, just the way the league is set up, maybe the value isn't quite there. This is literally your business to figure this out. And so I'm just speculating wildly. (laughs) I do wonder, as you talk to people, like, where is the value and, and what are some of the nuances there as we think about across the pro leagues? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess my mind jumps to two sports, and one of them you mentioned, soccer in North America, uh, and, and those franchise values, and this is maybe to the point who the person you were talking to was getting to, those franchise values have exploded. So where you used to be able to get in at 80, 100 million, and it seemed like a great investment, now you're probably talking 500 million, and so the, 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 the growth uh, story is from there maybe gets more challenging, but nonetheless, I still think if you just and not this maybe oversimplifies it, but uh, it's, sometimes it's easy to think of it that way. If you just think, step back and think, the most popular sport in the world and the wealthiest country in the world, uh, that I do think there's still a lot of opportunity in, in, in MLS here, and and that there could be. Uh, we could look back five, ten years from now, and those franchises are trading for a billion or more. Um, and then the other sport, and again, this is commonly talked about, but I think it's true, is, is the NBA. And in the NBA, I think the story is somewhat different. It's, it's an international story. Yeah. And you just look at some of their trends in, say, China, um, the potential in a, in a country like India for, for the NBA. I just think that they have this opportunity to become maybe surpass soccer as the popular, most popular sport in the world, or at least rise up to that level. And so, being uh, owning an NBA franchise, I think presents a great platform um, and a great opportunity to see that growth and, and to be a part of it. Bill, does anything increase the value of a franchise like a new stadium? I mean, you can win three World Series, a half a dozen Super Bowls, but is building a new stadium and having a new facility it? To increase the I, value I do think of the franchise. Yeah, I think that's a game changer. I mean, relocation, you see what happened with the Rams and, and the Chargers, but but that's such a one-off unique. And, and the Raiders, I should throw them into there too. But barring that, I think building a new stadium is the way you really change your franchise. And, and the, um, not only uh, the perception of it, but just the revenue potential that you can generate from a new stadium is just is just exponentially higher than than some of the older stadiums that they would be replacing. Bill, before we let you go, got to ask you about the college level because I feel like over the last few months and and currently, I mean, even today, we are getting into sort of the the existential questions around college sports. We had the Big Ten say they weren't going to play football, now they're going to, and the Pac-12 seemingly following suit. Big-time college football is as big-time as it ever was, even in a pandemic, in some ways. 
it has become massive economically for towns and colleges and, and universities. How do you look at it through your lens in terms of the facilities? Any of us who've been to a major college football game, whether it's in South Bend or Tuscaloosa, these are unbelievable facilities only getting more sophisticated. Is that a place where you're looking and talking to people? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'm a huge college sports fan. I, I uh, love going to college football games every Saturday. And and, um, and so something that uh, I, I and we've been watching closely, I think college is right now it's it's a bigger challenge than the, what, what we see in the professional space just to get them back playing. I think the incentives are different, and and, um, and, and uh, it's easier to sort of for an NFL team to to quarantine or to monitor their 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 team than do for Alabama to monitor their whole football team and their interaction with all their with all their students. So I think the challenges are higher, uh, but but nonetheless, you know, I think to to your question, uh, we this is an area that we are focusing on a lot before the pandemic. And really thought that, uh, and, and still do think that there's a lot of opportunities to say make these stadiums even even more special to to bring some of the technology and some of the innovation that's happened in the professional space down to the college space, and so that's something we still think is there. But I think they, you know, they're going to have a harder time getting through the the pandemic. And and you mentioned the economic importance of these programs to the towns and to the university. I mean, they've really become huge businesses, and um, and so um, bringing them back will be important. I think I, I kind of think about it as uh, you know, every day you never know you're going to wake up and find out this school can't play, and right. it's just it's so volatile this time. And, and uh, I'm certainly hoping that they can make it through this, but I guess I guess we'll see what the fall holds here. All right, Bill Mulvihill, he is Managing Director, Head of Sports and Entertainment Group at U.S. Bank, joining us from Cincinnati. Bill, really fun to talk to you. This was uh, wide-ranging and uh, really look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, it's going to be a fun fall with all the sports on TV and, and look forward to catching up soon. Yeah, that'd be great. And you can catch our podcast right here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchEWCVB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.